Welcome to Charting the Course, the official podcast of the Hilton Group at UBS. I'm your host, Betty Galligan. Let me tell you a little bit about the Hilton Group. Established in Newport, Rhode Island by Jamie Hilton in 1991, the Hilton Group Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services is focused on serving a select number of ultra-high net worth clients who see Jamie and his team as personal CFOs, providing customized and tailored wealth management strategies. Welcome to another episode of Charting the Course, the official podcast of the Hilton Group at UBS. I'm Betty Galligan, your host, and with me today is Anthony Tony Serino, a financial advisor with the Hilton Group. He's been with the firm since 2014, and he works with clients on retirement planning, investment reporting, investment research, and analysis. So it's only fitting that today we're talking about behavioral finance or the influences of psychological biases that can affect market outcomes. And basically, we're going to ask why do investors lack self-control and why do they act against their own best interest to make decisions when it comes to their money and investing? And why do people base these decisions on personal biases instead of facts? And why are people so irrational? I'm not sure if he can answer that question, but Tony, let's get talking. So you have a degree in financial management from Salve Regina University. So you have studied a thing or two about people managing their money. People are people and we all have flaws and we're only human, right? So why are people's decisions about finance so flawed all the time? Well, first of all, thanks for for having me here, Betty. It's a pleasure to be here with you again. And to answer your question, it really comes down to emotion, right? You see things go up, you see things go down, and and that doesn't necessarily reflect the true value of the of each particular company, but minute to minute, second to second, you can see the price go up, the price go down. And in these short timeframes, it's often difficult to say, why is something going up or why is something going down? But if we can further expand our horizon, our time horizon, then we can, we can better understand why a company is doing well or why it's not. So to recap, emotion plays the biggest part. Um, for instance, if you think about the fact that I know you're a golfer, I golf, I'm sure some of our listeners golf. If you think the state of the art driver, right? The one you've wanted for a long time, all of a sudden it drops 30% in price. You may be more inclined to buy it. Whereas if it increases 30% in price, you may be more inclined to stay away from it and say that's that's not fair value, that's too high. For whatever reason, when it comes to investing, people do the exact opposite. And what they do is they get nervous when things go down and they get really excited when things increase in price. Well, I mean, it's natural for people to have emotions, right? That's what we are as humans. But when you're talking about the timeline, was, is that what you called it? The timeline? Ta- yes. Time horizon. Time yeah. horizon. So the time horizon, the thing is, is that we don't know what that is. So it's an unknown. So maybe that's part of the fear, right? Yeah, and and one of the things that I think my team at the Hilton Group and at UBS do very well is we do comprehensive financial planning. So if you know that you don't need your 401k money or certain investments for 5, 10, 20 years down the road, then the day-to-day movements and even quarter to quarter and even year to year aren't going to matter as much because we know historically since 1926, the S&P 500, which is 
best 500 companies in America has gone up about 10% a year. While it's gone up at 10% a year, annualized, of those 96 years, the market has only gone up 10% exactly twice. Wow. So there's a lot of variance year to year. But if you're invested for the long haul, your, your focus is on the long term, then that shouldn't bother you because you know historically I'm investing in the best companies there are in America, some of which in the world, and I don't have to worry about the day to day. Now, if you have a financial goal to send your kid to college in two or three years, yeah, that money is going to have a different time horizon. So you're going to be a little more attentive to the price fluctuations, both good and bad, if you need that money sooner rather than later. So different money within our entire portfolio can be invested for different purposes. And that's something that people tend to have trouble remembering. So a person's goals in life should be considered as part of that time horizon. Oh, 100%. It's very tough to create an investment plan and investment proposal without knowing what the client or, or what the person is trying to accomplish. If they want to live at a certain means for the entirety of their life, that helps us in establishing, okay, this investment makes sense, this one doesn't. Where do we, where do we bridge the gap from their goals to their investments? And, and without knowing what's important to a person, you know, whether it's children, grandchildren, going on vacations in retirement, cars in retirement, whatever the case may be, without knowing what's important, it's tough to pick investments. And once you can figure that out and flesh that out with the client, then it becomes much easier to say, okay, you don't need this money for 20 years. It's going to go up. It's going to go down sometimes dramatically, but at the end of the day, based on history, based on what we've seen, you'll be okay. And that's what running the, the financial plan on a regular basis helps, helps determine, are you on track to accomplish what you want to accomplish? What about the nervous investor, the nervous person that doesn't think they have time to wait for that 20 year mark and they see their investments going down now because the market's going down or maybe on a daily basis, but maybe just regularly checking it and seeing that, oh boy, the numbers aren't going up in the way that I'd like them to. So how do you deal with that behavior of a person? Well, you have to help them reframe their time horizon, right? So you could say year to date, the market, the S&P, the U.S. markets have gone down 20 to 30% at any given point. Since 2009, which was the end of the global financial crisis, those same markets have gone up 5.5 times. So what is 20% of 5.5 times? When you broaden the horizon, extrapolate you know the, the annual returns and make them decade returns, which for most people that's appropriate. Again, it's everyone has different goals and, and we're aware of that when we do the planning. But you have the, the capability to, to withstand the volatility if you want to. And a big part of our job is, is working with people and, and helping them you know, rationalize what, what may seem irrational in the short term. Because long term, the market is rational. Shorter term, it, not so much. It's difficult to say, especially you know, over weeks and, and months, what's going to happen. Um, on a pretty consistent basis, the expert pundits get it wrong. <laughs> which is why we need people like you to help us, us yeah. poor people that yeah. are investing that don't know what we're doing <laughs> it's amazing what you can do when you start with a plan True. when you know where you're going it makes getting to the destination a lot easier mm -hmm. now 
because people have biases, right? We talked about behavioral finance in the sense that people have biases. What are some of the types of biases that people have when it comes to their money on the market? Yeah, so there are three pretty common biases that people have when in regards to the markets and their money. The first one being the recency bias, you know, what's happening right now, what's happening this year will happen consistently. And that's simply not true. You've seen it time and time again that the market is cyclical in nature. It goes up, it goes down, but it's on a pretty permanent uptrend if you look back to where the market started compared to where it is now. The status quo bias is, is the second one, and that's, you know, it's worked for me to this point, so why should I change it? That may be true that it's worked for you to this point, but that doesn't mean the world around you isn't evolving. The companies around you are, aren't evolving. There's, there's a lot of things happening day to day. Within these great companies that we have in the U.S. and, and around the world, you know, they're evolving, they're growing, they're constantly, you know, trying to, to get better at what they're doing. You know, we see a big push to electric vehicles at this point in time. That's not to say that, you know, Exxon and, and some of these Chevron, some of these big oil companies aren't going to just fall by the wayside. They're going to adapt and evolve and, and put more research and development into moving towards that future because that's where the world is going. So so status quo bias is, is taking what's worked to this point and just assuming it'll work because it has. And then finally, arguably the most troublesome of the biases is the hindsight bias because there is no winning. There's no way to say, you know, I should have done this. I should have bought this company. I should have sold out here because no matter how you look at something, how well you've done, if you have a hindsight bias, number one, it's almost always inherently negative. You're never going to have a hindsight bias where you're going to say, I could have done worse. Um, and if you do, then you're on the right track. But most people, when they think about the hindsight bias, think about what could I have done better and what can I have changed? And that is, is detrimental to an investor because then you're focusing on something not only that you can't control, but it's already happened and there's no changing it. True. And you're, all, you're also focusing on the emotion of guilt, right? Correct. Like you start to get a guilt feeling. So that becomes, then you become emotional, which is what we're trying not to be with our money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the other problem with that is, is the more you have a hindsight bias, the more you're doomed to repeat the same mistakes you may or may not have made. And if you can learn from them and grow, and the next time something similar like that happens, as I mentioned, you know, the market is cyclical in nature, things kind of wind upward through peaks and troughs. If you can learn from your mistakes, you can make better decisions in the future. So does the stock market always move in a predictable way like you had talked about recency and i mean that's what's happened in the last couple of months but if you look you're always looking back and studying the market and the cycles so can we always look to models to understand the market better so does the market move in a predictable way in the short term no almost never um for example you think back to 2020 COVID hit the world is in hysteria. Nobody knows what's going on. The government shuts the economy down. Essentially, you can't go anywhere. You're confined to your house. In the year of 2020, with all of that hysteria going on, the market actually gained 18%. Hmm. In the following year, while things were still shut down, vaccines were starting to roll out, the market gained 29%. So if I told you that worldwide global pandemic happens 
the government's shut everything down. You can't go anywhere. You're pretty much confined to your house. And the stock market in both years was up over 20 or around or up over 20%. Would that make any sense to you? No. Probably not, right? How would how would these companies be doing 20% better when people can't go out and buy things? And, and that's, you know, to my point where over the short term, it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen in the market. Would that be something like the vaccine companies were doing well in stocks? Yeah, vaccine companies were doing very well. Um, tech companies especially were doing very well. You know, Zoom had yes. a wonderful ride up and consequently an ensuing drop to this point. But people were doing DocuSign, everything, all meetings were held through Zoom. And, and I don't know about you, but I always preferred a face-to-face meeting. It's always nice to see someone's genuine, right. you know emotions when you see them versus looking at a screen but but a lot of companies that were designed around work from home peloton for example you know exercise from home a lot of companies did very well now that's not sustainable so to answer your question especially in the short term the answer is it's very very difficult to make correct consistent calls on the market over the longer term when when we can use economic data longer term cycles it's more accurate or possible to predict you know how the market's going to do over a period of several years if not decades but again you don't know how fast the world is going to evolve i think it was bill gates who said that we overestimate what we can do in two years and we underestimate what we can do in 10 and and i think that applies pretty prudently to to what happens in the market in that we want all these changes to happen we want all these these things these wonderful things that that we've come up with to this point to to continue growing but it takes time so how can people get outside of their own emotions and their own biases like is that even possible when it comes to money yeah i think that's a that's a great question and and the answer is the in my opinion the first first thing I would do is find someone I trust to to work with, you know, in the same way that when you work with a mechanic or a doctor or any, really any occupation that involves service, you want to make sure you work with someone you can trust. Trust is essential because if I don't trust what you're telling me, why would I continue to work with you? So that would be number one, find someone who can tell you exactly what's going on without the fear of hurting your feelings. I'm just telling you what's happening. Yeah, that makes sense. It's the trusted advisor and in the financial way, sometimes it's just really helpful to talk to someone about it and talk about the fears or the anxieties and issues that, that we would maybe feel about looking at our statements or you know where we stand in the market or looking every day and seeing some of the stock market going down or what have you. The, the ride is bumpy, right? And being able to talk it through is almost like in a counseling way. Absolutely. Being that this is a nautically themed podcast, mm-hmm. uh, smooth seas never made a good captain, right? So the more you can understand why things are, are doing what they're doing while maintaining a rational thought process to what's going on in, in the financial media does not help with this. The 24-7 bombardment of insert expert here says this is why we're going into a global recession. You can find that article almost any day when you log on to any financial media site. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So having someone who's 
in your corner an advisor you can call up and say, hey, you know, what's really going on? How long should we expect to deal with this? I think that what they're looking for is some comfort because it's like what you just said, we're looking for that captain that's been through some of the choppy waters and experienced some of the situations that they got through. And it's like, okay, they got through it. So maybe they can help me get through it. Or I trust that they can help me. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's as simple as a conversation. I I just want to know where we're at now. What, what's going on? If I can understand it, I can make sense of it. And the difficulty is, is bridging the gap from what the facts are to, you know, how do they apply to you personally? If you are in retirement and need money on an annual basis, your portfolio is going to be structured a bit differently, possibly even quite differently than someone who's in the accumulation phase of their life. And someone who's in the accumulation phase of their life may actually be, I don't want to say happy, but not disappointed if the market goes down because then they are buying things at a lower price. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're in retirement phase, you know, money is coming out and you're going to need more liquidity available to you in the event of an emergency or something happening. So what's really good is that you help people stick to a plan. That's really, I think, the crux of what we're talking about in behavioral finance. When we misbehave in our emotions or in any way, you're the one who brings everyone back to that plan because when you think that stuff is happening and it's very volatile, you tend to go off, oh, we have to go to plan B, we have to go to plan C, but you're like really making people stick to plan A, right? Yeah, so so the answer to that is two-part in the sense of, once we create the plan, it's basically a living document that when we review it is just a snapshot in that point in time. So what I mean by that is that when we first create it, your goals at that point in time are going to be very different from 20 years from now when we're looking at it, right? You right. want to get to retirement. You want to enjoy your retirement 20 years later. What can I pass on to my kids and grandkids? How can I make sure they're, they're all set for college and what they need? So, so that's point number one. Point number two would be in times like this, right, where the market is going down, there's not a lot of optimism around what's happening in the economy, in the market, domestically, internationally. There's a lot of things going on in the world. We take a look at your particular plan, your customized plan that we built together, and it still works. And we say, okay, as bad as it is, you're okay. And that helps people sleep at night. If it doesn't work, what do we need to adjust to change that? Is it an allocation thing? Is it a spending question? Where are the possibilities for us to adjust it to make it so that your plan is still on track? I like that. I mean, it feels like a very comforting and trusting and solid course of action, you know, as you chart the course for people's behavioral finance issues. <laughs> now, speaking of that too, are people influenced by their other family members or maybe their friends or somebody that they work with who talks about, you know, what they might be doing with the stock market or buying, selling things, who knows what. But when it comes to money, like I would think that people would want to keep their finances close to the vest, but maybe not. So have you ever been in any situation like that where you've had to counsel someone through don't listen to so-and-so? Absolutely. People compare themselves to others all the time and it is almost never helpful 
in the sense of who they're talking to only talks about their winners, their good stock picks. They don't mention that they lost 50% on one stock. They talk about the stock that they made 50%, made 100% on. That's and that's true. never helpful. The problem with that is that whoever they're talking to has a completely different plan, completely different investments, completely different income, completely different goals, all of these things that are completely different compared to who the client is and what's important to them. So in really any context, comparing yourself to others is never going to be helpful to you. In investing, it's detrimental to the point where you're going to have that hindsight bias, I should have bought that stock that they bought and that has nothing to do with your plan you know you have already developed in our clients cases we have already developed a plan that works if you're going to want to invest in a particular stock that may have additional risks then we got to build that into a plan and see how it helps because it what happens if that stock goes under you know that company goes under and you put a big chunk of your money in it because your friend did it that's a problem yes yes now speaking of all i, I know i keep saying that but i mean we're talking about biases and like influences. So one of the biggest influences besides your family members and peers and people that are in your inner circle is marketing and advertising. And for example, I have seen a lot of ads recently or heard them on the radio about buying gold and you have to buy this in your 401k, you must have gold and such, such there's things about gold. So how much does marketing play a role in framing how we approach opportunities or things that we can think of in, in the financial world? Marketing is another thing that could be a problem because marketing is casting a wide net in hopes of catching as many people as possible. Whereas your particular plan is your particular plan. So gold may be helpful to some people, but we don't know that until we put together a plan. I know I mentioned this before, but the 24 hour news cycle is, basically poison to the investor. There are some, some good concepts, good ideas in it, but for the most part, it is designed around sensationalism. No one is gonna click on an article, no one is gonna listen to a segment if the title is, here's a pretty good idea, or here's a, <laughs> here's a solid but unexciting idea. It's mm -hmm. do this or you're screwed. It's do this or you're gonna have problems. So. Marketing plays a, plays a big factor because we are consumption-driven yeah, driven, by nature. The more we consume, the better off we feel. Um, whether it's social media, reading, you know, playing games, whatever it is, these financial journalism companies know that. So they are going to put things that they know you're going to click on because that's how their revenue is derived. On top of that, politics is... is also a big influencer, especially over the short term. You may recall towards the back half of 2021 and the beginning of 2022, inflation started to rise, right? Right. Started slowly, but it started to rise. And there was a big buzzword during that time, which was transitory. The inflation is transitory. We're going to get through it. It's going to die down. I don't even think they used the word inflation. They just said it is transitory. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. The, the less you know, the better off they feel. Right. So transitory was a big word by politicians, market experts. At one point, the Federal Reserve Chair, Jerome Powell, used transitory to describe inflation. And we know, you know, six, 10 months later that that is not the case, whether it's 
prices at the pump, whether it's food in the grocery store, it is very difficult to get dinner for a couple nights a week for less than 50 bucks at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. So between politics and and marketing, there are many short-term sensational driven ideas and concepts that get people excited, but they don't really know what they're, what they're looking at until they do some research. So again, the role that it plays is, is it, is often something that we have to combat and bring people back in. Okay, here's your plan. We I, we went over this. You're good. Let's stick to it. Yes, sticking to the plan is the big theme, I think, during this behavioral finance conversation. What about the kind of people that think they know it all? I know that might be, I don't know, a self-bias or something, but they may, so they're influenced by peers. They might be influenced by marketing. They might have other kinds of things going on but they think they know what is best for them. And they don't even do this for a living. You do it for a living. They might be working in some other industry. So do you ever have any clients like that or situations that you've had to work with? I wouldn't say we have any clients like that. Just naturally, it's a, it's a relationship between the client and, and our team and that they trust us and we trust them. It, it has to be that way. But we have had certain prospects come in who, who want to tell us how to do certain things or that they know certain things and they very well might, but that is not how our team operates. It, it needs to be a partnership. I'm totally happy if a client brings an idea, an investment idea to the table, then we'll research it within the team, see if it makes sense. Okay, sometimes it does. Um, other times it doesn't, but, but the point is that it's collaborative in nature. And if someone's going to come in and not take our advice, if a prospect's going to come in and not take our advice, then that may not be the best type of client as it were. And they may be better off doing it themselves. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now, how did you learn about psychology? A lot of what I learned about investor psychology was, was, actually through my experience starting as an intern within the team and starting to put together financial plans. So to this point, I've put together well over a hundred financial plans for clients. And it's very, very interesting. The difference in goals, the difference in values, the difference in personality between client to client, even some who have the same asset levels or same investments treat those very, very differently. So basically on the job in real life situations as opposed to financial management is what you've studied but behavioral finance is something that you know is that a thing that someone can study yeah there are newer behavioral finance designations they're very new to the industry this is in and of itself a very new component of of investing compared to the standard way things were done for many years I found that that through my work in, in studying and in obtaining this certified financial planning designation, the CFP, that that, that was extremely helpful to me in, in understanding that people are very, very different in the way they approach the exact same thing. And it's not going to be the same person to person. And if you can understand that, which... Candidly, I think we do a very good job at understanding our clients' goals and and wants and and what's important to them. Then you can be a great help to them. If you can't, then you won't. 
it's almost like you have to check your biases at the door, right? Because you can't make an assumption about someone because everyone's different. So you want to make sure that when you're doing the plan and you're working with individual clients that you're keeping them individual and not just making a broad, broad-based decision based on, oh yes, everybody who's 40 years old does this or everybody who's 60 years old does this, right? Correct. And, and I know I said that we start with planning before we get to investments, but before we even start planning with someone, we sit down and have a conversation about their values, their goals in life as far as what are their hobbies and personality traits, because that's important to us too. Someone may want to speak once a month about what's going on and other people will want to check in once a year. So knowing who you're dealing with and, and you know what's important to them and, and where they're at mentally and philosophically will only help to strengthen the relationship between us and the clients we work with. Mm. I've also heard things about people and their relationship with money, maybe it's their beliefs that they were taught as a kid or that they learned around their own home environment, like money is equals greed, or we can't talk about money. It's the kind of thing that we don't talk about, or I don't know, but people, people kind of have their values about money and their relationship with money formed at pretty early age, and then maybe get influenced throughout their time too. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the way in which you're brought up will have a a pretty large impact on how you view money, whether it's, you know, you came from a wealthy family, you came from a poor family, you had to work for, you know, to pay for college yourself, your grandparents or your parents helped you pay for it. I think, you know, that that makes a difference in the way people view money as they get older. Were it up to me, I think personal finance would be a requirement in in our education system at a young age, the same way math and, and you know, science and, and language is, is a part of, of what we what we learn from a young age. Balancing, you know, a checkbook, which no one does anymore because the banks do it for you, but still knowing how to do it and why certain things are happening in certain ways. Knowing the difference between good debt and bad debt in the sense of, you know, mortgage is good, credit card, not so much. Even people my age, and I just turned 30, are, are not familiar with or don't know. And they could save a couple hundred thousand dollars a year just by making some small changes that, that they're not aware of. So I think whether it's via parents, whether it's via, you know, school or friends or, or whatever the case may be, getting more educated at an earlier age will only stand to benefit the children of the clients we work with or the children of people in general. And I think personally that, that we have a fair amount of multi-generational clients and we do a good job of, of educating the, the younger, you know, heirs, so to speak on, on, you know, there's a big opportunity in front of you and, and you want to take advantage of that. And I think another, uh, to add to that, a strength of our team is that between Jamie, Kara, myself, Catherine, and Hannah, we have several different generations of people who've grown up and, and lived through different things. I was a kid during the Great Recession, so I, it didn't have as much of an impact on me personally because I wasn't paying bills at that time, right? So right. so having someone on the team like Kara or Jamie or Catherine who, who lived through that, raised children through that, they're, they're going to have a different viewpoint on it than I will. So I think having five plus viewpoints from within our team of, of different people who've seen and lived through different things 
grew up different ways is, is only stands to benefit how we work with, with families. Mm. Plus, I think what's so cool about UBS is that you also have this huge international company behind you that ha- provides research and studies and trend reports and things like that that you can get at your fingertips. Yeah, having the resources of a company like UBS only helps us, whether it's you know the lending department or, or the investment research or whatever the case may be, having all of those research resources and people that if we have questions regarding specific clients, we, can, we know who to go to within UBS to get the answer for our clients. So that absolutely only stands to benefit both us and the people we work with. Is there ever any situation where a client would blame the financial advisor for like poor market performance where they might be feeling like, oh, like not in a, word, in a way that it's your fault, but like you're the one who's managing their money or something. And, you know, like, do they ever get that emotional about it? I think within our team, because we start with planning and because people know where they're trying to get to, we don't get that often. However, I I wouldn't think it's uncommon in the industry because when things happen and they're outside of your control, you often find someone to blame and that's just human nature and I don't have a problem with that. And if those conversations do happen, let's go back to the plan. Let's make sure you're you're okay. Um, Do you have any short-term cash needs that we should be aware of so that we can allocate the portfolio as such? If everything's status quo and and nothing's changed on your end, the plan still works, then we know we're in a good spot. And that conversation ends a lot more optimistic than it started. They also wouldn't be doing anything that you recommend without their approval and their their blessing, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Everything is full disclosure in the sense of you, you will know what you're invested in from the start. And if there's a problem with that investment, we will have that conversation. Without a doubt. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things is we cannot, nor you cannot control what happens in the stock market. What we can control is how we approach what's going on and and how we approach what we want to do. Meaning, what are our goals? Are we close to them? Do we have years, decades before we reach them? What about those types of investors that want to put their head in the sand and not even look at their statements? Honestly, Betty... That sounds like a dream to me because if for someone who's getting quarterly statements, it's difficult not to look at it. And in fact, you get the quarterly statements, but you're also able to view them daily online. The more you can turn off the day-to-day aspect of of market movement and and investment movement, the better off you're going to be. Because at the end of the day, we are very comfortable in the companies the money managers and the investments we choose. And there is no doubt going to be volatility throughout the lifetime of that investment. The, what you want to focus on is the end result and not so much what's happening day to day, minute to minute. In a vacuum, long-term investing is not terribly difficult. What is really difficult is removing the emotions from that same process. And that's where we, we really thrive in helping people. So maybe is it more about the destination than the journey (laughs) in that case? Yeah, I think you don't want to lose sight of your destination by way of A, something outside your control and B, something that is short term in nature. Recessions happen. They've happened for centuries at this point, but they've we've always come through them. The market's always higher on the other side. 
you can pick a point in any, you know, time during the 80s, 90s, or 70s, and the market's higher now. Oh. Tell us about an example of how you helped someone get beyond their bias or their negativity. Yeah, so I started working with a client, and, and their focus was, was picking stocks. They wanted to make a lot of money. They, almost the antithesis of, of what we stand for and what we do. They were, they were stock pickers. They wanted to make a lot of money. Their friends were telling them to buy certain stocks. They were very nervous anytime the market dropped and really wouldn't engage in the planning. The answer I got in regards to putting together a financial plan was it's too much work. <laughs> and it is a lot of work, candidly, to gather up all your statements, all your tax returns, anything that can help in putting together a financial plan. But eventually she came around to it. We sat down, we went through the plan, and there was relief. So since we've done that, the calls have been, the conversations and the calls have been much more oriented around, okay, am I still on track? Am I still on track? Not Tesla's doing bad, Apple's doing bad, which is true, but it's not the point, right? The point is that you are trying to get to a certain point of your life. And so, like I said, there was a ton of relief within her tone of voice, within the, the, the facial expressions, in viewing the plan, knowing that she's on track to accomplish what she wants to accomplish and retire when she wants to retire. The way I knew that, that it had made a huge difference was that within two weeks, she had sent her son to me to have the same conversation. And this was a person who at first did not want anything to do with the planning. We inherited the client from an, an advisor who had left and it took a lot of patience and perseverance. But at the end of the day, she's in a much better place now. She's not worrying about the day-to-day -day market and she's on track to do what she wants. So that's a win in my book. And, and I think that goes to show the power of planning and the power of sitting down with someone, having an honest conversation about what's really bugging them, what's important to them and how do we get them to where they want to go. Congratulations. I mean, that speaks volumes to the approach that you take to working with a client or be your ability to see that they're having some trouble or the behavioral trouble, if we will, with their finances. And maybe, like you had said, this person was just being influenced by some outside people and their own thoughts and rushing without having a plan and just trying to, or th thinking that it was going to take too much time. So congratulations for sticking to it and helping her in the end and her son. Thank you very much, Betty. I, I mean, candidly, the hardest part is getting started for, for someone to actually get the ball rolling, sit down and do the plan. Once the plan's in place, it's easy enough to make changes if we need to. If you know they have a child or a grandchild and they want to set up a college fund, if they decide they want to go skiing every year in retirement, it's easy to make changes and, and monitor those changes. But the hardest part is, is sitting down and getting everything you need to put together a plan. I guess it's like, to recap, it's basically charting their course of where they're going. Exactly. And you can get them there. You're the skipper of the rough waters or the calm waters, right? And they're going along in the in the boat, <laughs> on the ride to their final destination of whatever that goal is or goals. But if they had to, you know, maybe go around the route a little bit, if something changed, the plan is flexible enough to say, sure, we can stop at that island for a couple of days. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and 
part of it is knowing what you want to do and what you can do. You may want to do certain things, but you have the financial capability to do more if you decide to, but you may decide to keep that flexibility should something change in the future. And I think to borrow from Carl Richards, who is known as the sketch guy who, who contributes articles to, to various news publications, he takes a Venn diagram, which picture in your head on one side, you have things that you can control. On the other side, you have things that matter. And in the middle is what you should focus on. And I think that couldn't apply better to, to the financial planning and what we do with people because the biggest thing that, that matters that we can't control is the stock market, but we can control how we feel about it and, and how our emotions allow us to make decisions. Love it. Love it. Well, I can tell that you really love your job. You're very passionate about it. You're very good at it. And I can tell that you love doing financial plans and helping people through any their whole life course, really, of what, where they want to go with their money and how the money can help them to get there. So we really appreciate your time today. And this concludes our behavioral finance episode for Charting the Course, the official podcast of the Hilton Group at UBS. Stay tuned for more topics and episodes and be sure to visit advisors.ubs.com slash the Hilton Group for more information.